not a great friend since that was uh, January 31's episode. No. I'm, I said, I'm, I'm just friend. No. Oh, right. I see what you're saying. Yeah? No, I did not. I I've did been not. demoted. It's only two days later in Scotland, but I've been demoted. I didn't mean to demote you. I didn't. Mean. <laughs> <laughs> I was, you know what the problem is, is right now we're we're driving through the Cairngorms. We are. It's absolutely spectacular. And what's happening is I'm I'm just being transported elsewhere by the views, and so I got all mixed up, discombobulated. And so, Jason, you are my good friend. Oh, not a great friend. Oh fuck, you're my great. <laughs> you're the greatest of friends. Oh, thank you. That's very kind of you to say. You are not too bad yourself. Wow. So, wow. So as we're talking here, coming through the Cairngorms. Wow. Easy. Move along. And uh, if you're looking to places on the map, we've just passed the Dalwhinnie Distillery. Yeah, gorgeous. Uh, looking rather spectacular. As always, just off to the side of the road. The train line runs right along beside it. Mm-hmm. And then the mountains all surrounding the Dalwini Distillery here are all snow-capped, and it's, it's very striking. We we do have a wind warning in effect. There is a bit of rain hitting the windscreen. As we said at the beginning of the Ian McAllister episode, uh, the one that went live on Jan- January 31, yep. you might hear slightly different background noise during this episode, but we are having a ton of fun uh, using these lapel mics, having our red... Uh, red box recorder on the dashboard. <laughs> yep. This really is a ton of fun. So well, I'm really glad we did yeah. this, Josh. And thank you to you, oh. my great friend. Oh, oh, look at that! Promoted for carting this setup <laughs> around Scotland. Yeah. I had the misfortune of lifting your backpack out the trunk of the car yesterday, yeah. and I nearly put my back out. It is insanely heavy. It's so goddamn heavy. And and as I always say, if this podcast was in my hands, there would not be a podcast. Uh, So thank you to you for carting around this crazy equipment. Oh, you're quite welcome. It's Uh, my pleasure. And and I'll throw in an an additional comment, which is as we have pitched up and recorded our interviews through Scotland, the setup looks amazing. And those... um, who have asked for time and, and an interview have been so enamored, so mm-hmm. enthralled mm-hmm. by the recording as it looks on the laptop, the red box recorder, we're carrying around microphones, we've got lapel mics for that. It's, it's mental. We look the real deal. And this is just a side enterprise for us. This is only a side <laughs> business. <laughs> Does this perhaps make us the real deal? I, I, no, no, I'm not going to go that far. I, right. I'm going to say it makes us look like the real deal. All right, okay. I'm going to stick to that. All right, that works. So we're we're headed south, right? Yes, through sir. the Cairn that, Barms, that is, uh, because we left Elgin. Right, we yes, uh, we we spent about three and a half hours, three hours forty minutes, headed from Glasgow up to Elgin. Uh, we had a quick meeting at the mash tun with uh, our friend George Grant from Glen Farkless. Yeah, lovely to see George as always. Uh, had a cheeky wee pint with mm-hmm. him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we... Oh, were you going to say something? I was only going to point out that we're currently moving through the Cairngorms at 80 miles an hour. Wow. Uh, just because it's a nice little bit of wide open dual carriageway. And make up a wee bit of time. Right. Oh, we're behind time. Right. But it's always good to make it up just so you got it in your pocket in case you need to spend it later. <laughs> so after we left the mash tun, headed up to Elgin. <laughs> uh, Throw away point, not of interest to anybody. But as we were getting off the A9 and heading towards Glenfarclas yesterday, uh, towards Abalour, we realised we were a wee bitty short on fuel. 
and, <laughs> and we yeah. had no fuel for what 50 55 miles and as we uh, as we're getting closer we were about 20 miles from Glenfarclas mm -hmm. and the gauge started a flash it was on empty it said but don't worry you've got maybe 60 70 miles and we thought oh we're well covered here and then proceeded to take off four miles for every mile we traveled yeah and it got a little bit ropey and I, and I think we might have pulled into Abalauer uh, right across from the gas station to meet George at the mash tun on fumes well uh, I'm glad the rest of that the end of that journey is downhill <coughs> Joshua has contracted TB uh, while we have been in Scotland the other thing to point out is we'd been driving for three and a half hours both of us <laughs> having to use the toilet <laughs> and so here we are we, we, we pull into the town of Aberlour we park across from the filling station Match done it's just right around the corner and we're walking as fast as we can without <laughs> looking like we're desperate for something which we desperately were, were. <laughs> and uh, I just hear you whisper I hope George isn't there yet I hope George isn't there yet because <laughs> then you have to you go in you, you're polite right you want to say hello <sighs> oh, how you doing yeah. you know if you were there you'd have to say good to see you be back have to use the toilet <laughs> so it's uh, and it's never felt better to visit the toilet. That was, <laughs> oh my goodness! I'm even just thinking back to it. It was an amazing experience. Yeah. So. Yeah. Do you wanna Do you wanna tease that out a little bit? We don't have to. I'm just joking. With a pencil. <laughs> okay. So we're in Aberlour. We use the toilet. We have a pint with George. Uh, we get gas, and then we head up the road to Elgin. What happened in Elgin, Jason? And we had the pleasure of sitting down with Graham Cole, mm -hmm. distillery manager there, and with Ian Allen, visitor centre manager there. Uh, and? <laughs> there where? We didn't mention where there was. And brand ambassador for Glen Murray Distillery. Okay. And Elgin. And that's what I was just going to add. Glen Murray was one of the first distilleries to come on board with Single Cast Nation. Mm -hmm. uh, we've had a tremendous relationship. We've followed a lot of casks with them. And we've taken tours there. A lot of our tour guests have met both Ian and Graham. It's a, a terrific place to go, visit, hang out, taste, sample. And over the course of the interview, we'll tease out a few more aspects of that distillery and of that visitor center. But certainly for me, it's important to point out that that relationship has been in place since 2011. Uh, we started uh, out with a 12-year-old Glen Murray and first Phil Bourbon that yeah. was just a cracking example of the Glen Murray distillery. The reason I'm saying this is, again, back in our Ian McAllister episode, given that we were announcing and celebrating that we've added Glen Scotia and Loch Lomond to the Single Cast Nation family, we want to show, we want to come out the gate with a wonderful representation of the distillery. Try to communicate distillery style to our nation members. Mm -hmm. Yep. And so that first release that we did with Glen Murray absolutely did that. And we were talking the other day about looking through Glen Scotia with Ian to try and find an example that perfectly, wonderfully represents the distillery. Yes. And then, yes. having that bourbon in place, We've then gone on to explore different sides of Glen Murray. We've done a seven-year-old Glen Murray in Fino. We've done a 12-year-old Glen Murray, uh, six years bourbon, six years Madeira. Yeah. We've done a second bourbon cask, this time specifically from Jack Daniels. Yes. So, so we've really explored that. And so sitting down with Graham yesterday was looking over the next two or three years, where do you think the story goes mm. next? What other sides of Glen Murray do we want to show? And do you want to talk a little bit about one of the, the styles you're always looking for at Glen Murray? And I'll talk about one of the styles I'm always looking for. Yes. Well, when it comes to Glen Murray, my palate always leans toward ex-bourbon, right? Mm -hmm. 
I think for me, their spirit lends itself quite well to ex-bourbon. However, However. And, <laughs> you, you listen in the interview, Ian, Ian Allen talks quite a lot about how well the whiskey does in port, which mm-hmm. I, I find quite interesting because whiskey in port, both you and I agree, or at least as far as our palates go, we find export matured whiskey could be a bit hit or miss. Yes. Right? But it yeah. seems to be always hit when it comes to Glen Murray. But th- there's there's one particular style of Glen Murray that that I've fallen in love with. Before you oh. reveal that, oh. I just want to let the listeners know we talked specifically to Graham about port maturation and he made a very interesting comment about when it tends to work and when it tends to not work. And I'm not going to say what that is right now, why that is, but please listen out for Graham's answer to that uh, in his interview. Yeah, no, good. So please, sir, please continue with the reveal. Well, Glenn Murray, a few years back, this was this was back when they were owned by Glenn Morangy, they released a Mountain Oak series. <laughs> <laughs> And For a man who lives in Virginia, Mountain Oak means something to me. <laughs> so this Mountain Oak series was Glen Murray fully matured in new charred oak. Yeah, cracker. Yeah. Real and big, spicy, exactly. rich. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah it, it it rides when when you mature single malt scotch whiskey in new charred oak. It doesn't taste like bourbon. So, so if, if any bourbon drinkers out there think that okay, single single malt Scotch whiskey, new charred oak, and by the way, those types of releases are few and far between. Uh, if you think it's going to taste like bourbon, it will not. However, there will be many flavors that will remind you of bourbon, right? Because yeah. you're going to get that that big, rich vanilla and caramel going on and the coconutty quality. But the spice comes out more for for whatever reason, and and barley is 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 a much more um, delicate grain as compared to corn. For sure, right? Corn throws in a bit of a heaviness to it, and and on top of it, and I could be wrong in this, but on top of it, I think the the oak itself is it's a light jar with a bit of a toast and not heavily charred like say. You know, insert insert bourbon here. Like say wild turkey, for instance, right? Number four char. I've heard of them. Yeah. So so yeah. So that style, something in new charred oak with Glen Murray, I think works out. And some of our conversation may have gone down that path while we're there. I'm not gonna confirm nor deny. <laughs> we could very well say, watch this space. For further developments. So you've certainly been asking, and we have certainly been asking, about the new oak since we started the relationship with Glen Murray back around 2011. Yeah. One of the things that we haven't asked about previously, but we have been keeping an eye on it, is round about 2010 or so, Glen Murray started playing around with peated spirit. Mm -hmm. And when it was two years old, they had that little square bottle release uh, maybe two and a half years old yes and it was fantastic peated spirit matured in ex-bourbon really showed up the the Glen Murray house style the new make spirit style fruity sweet syrupy uh, deliciousness took to the peat beautifully mm-hmm. and now in this meeting we started asking about peat for the first time. And so we're now going to explore that line with Graham. And in, in terms of telling that Glen Murray story, I think it's a natural progression to show off some, what would be young peat yeah. from them. Yeah. Um, certainly whiskey, not spirit, but very, very delicious. So that's also a watch this space. Yeah. Yep. One thing I want to point out about that little square bottle, I think they did such a great job with it because this was them saying to the public, hey guys, this is something we're looking to play around with. It's not whiskey. Yeah. Don't think it's whiskey. Yeah. It's not three years old yet. Yeah. 
but it's getting there. What do you think? And it, it showed how quickly good spirit could turn into good whiskey. You, you knew where it was going. The other thing that I, that I liked about it as well, and this talks a little bit to something that we've mentioned a few times in the past, and I think we may have discussed it with Chris Mabin before, is on the, on the bottle itself, it talks about the PPM and the barley. Exactly. 40 PPM. But the final PPM on the spirit itself was 18 PPM. So you get to see after fermentation, distillation, maturation in two and a half years, how much is lost. Now, you might think, ooh, 18 PPM, that's going to be mildly peated. Well, no, 18 PPM is a lot. The same reduction in in phenolic parts per million happens whether it's Glen Murray or Kilhoman or Ardbeg or Ardmore or you name it it's just not really talked about and uh, and and I really liked that Glen Murray showed that off yeah and I think putting it out as spirit is a wonderful idea one of my favorite Kilhomans and I obviously like a lot of Kilhoman one of my favorites remains to this day the two-year-old anticipation. Oh, yeah. Where you get to taste that spiritiness with a whiskey that's on its way somewhere with that young peat in it. Absolutely delicious. So I was always excited when Glen Murray put out that little square uh, bottle as well. Yeah, Glen Glassa did that too, sort of an on-the-way... They did the blush, right? <laughs> yeah. Do we have anything else to point out here? Can we can we go to the, the Graham interview? Yeah, yeah. Let's let's go over to Graham. Um, yeah, you know what? Let's just go over to Graham. I I thought the conversation was great, and I think the thing that I'll add here, just like our interview with Ian McAllister and our interview with uh, Garth Ennis, is we're not really going to cut this. You're just going to hear the conversation in its entirety. So let's move it on over to Graham. Is this me doing it, doing it live? Doing it live. Um, so that's meant a lot to us, and representing Glen Murray in America has meant a lot. And getting to see you every year has been fantastic, mm-hmm. making plans. Um, why? Why did you uh, open your door to us in 2011 when we showed up, no different from a hole in the ground, and, uh, and you were very generous and... Uh, yeah. Probably, I'll probably still ask myself that question. <laughs> Why? Why would you? Because there was more than just the two of you yeah. from memory. There was a, a group of uh, whiskey enthusiasts. So, and I think that's probably why we engaged with you so much, because whiskey was your, your passion. It wasn't the... It wasn't really a business thing that we did. I think We're still waiting to make we, money on the back of this. Ah, we, we, <laughs> I think, from memory, we tasted whiskeys and sampled whiskeys, and then we... Uh, we did. Decided just to, to share that whiskey on a wider, wider platform, so it was good. That was fantastic. And in the time we've known you, we've seen great expansion at Glen Murray. Uh, you've been the man behind that for every step. When did you start at Glen Murray? Yeah, I started just over 12 years ago now, 2005. And I spoke in whiskey terms, it was sleepy hollow for a wee while, it was fine. <laughs> uh, but really... Uh, 2008 was the, the change where we were purchased by uh, a French company, La Martini Cays, and they grasped hold of Glen Murray as a, as a brand in its own right. Uh, maybe, and really 2012 onwards, we've seen the distillery expand mm-hmm. threefold, and also the, the range that we offer expand by, by much more than that. Fantastic. Speaking of the range, you did a complete overhaul with your range somewhat recently where there's, there's more age-stated stock. And, and I think now, at least with your 18, and I'm going to look at the 15, but you've increased your ABV overall, right? Yeah, yeah. We've expanded the range, both at a non-age statement level. A classic level is now five expressions when it was one. Mm-hmm. And then our older versions that we offered was really just a, a, a 12 year old and a 16 year old so so now we have a 12 15 and 18 and and as you say the 18 has the higher abv non-chill filtered 46 so yeah. it's, it's catering for a, a demand out there for for 
tasting whiskies are a little, okay. bit, a little bit stronger. So that's a pretty large portfolio. So you've got the, the five classic non-age stated, the 12, the 15, and the 18. I'm just thinking strategically when you're looking at where your bottles go, because that's, that's eight core expressions now. Do you have some that only go to some markets because for whatever reason and some that go, <clears throat> excuse me, and, and, and some age stated that go into say Germany and non-age stated that go elsewhere? What's the yeah, thought process Yeah, we there? do. Glen Murray's not a worldwide brand uh, by any means. We're, we're strong in certain countries and certain areas. And it's over the last three, four years that the expressions that we've added have been phased in mm. to different markets at different times uh, for, for lots of different reasons. But, uh, yeah. you know, it, it, it's helped grow the, the volume without going from zero to 100% straight away. So right, right, it's right. helped me prepare prepare for the for the, the onslaught almost <laughs> <laughs> so talking of onslaught you you both represent the single malt portfolio within Glen Murray you're also responsible for the blending that happens here uh, first of all is it common to see a distillery manager who's also in charge of the blending uh, probably n no you know uh, generally uh, companies that that blend and have single malts are, are, are pretty much on a larger scale than we are. We are mm. maybe unique in the fact that we have uh, one major blend and one major single malt. So in, in those ways, it, it simplifies things in many ways and it, it makes it possible for me to, to look after the, the single malt and the, the blend side. And, it, and it, it's great to, to have total control over the the total whiskey stock that we have. So sure. I see it all maturing and I can select for whichever product I'm, I'm, I'm choosing for. That makes good sense. When you're sitting down to, to make a blend, adjust a blend, work in a blend, we, we talk about blending in the, in the podcast here. And like a lot of people, we go straight to somebody like John Glazer with Compass Box and kind of all the things that he's doing there. What are you, what's your focus when you're blending uh, with the Glen Murray Distillery? For, for blending within our company, I have to be honest, it, the economics does come into it. You know, you can't just go and throw anything into the blend that you'd love to do because <laughs> right. at the end of the day, this product will sell at a given price in a given market. So, yeah. so that always has to be the uppermost in your mind mm -hmm. uh, that you go off in the right direction. And then the other side is, is making sure you, that you can sustain the consistency yeah. Along, yeah, sure. along the way. So uh, very practical concerns for you. Yes, yeah. you have to. You're making a blend. It's like making a cake. You have to start with the ingredients, and if you're missing one major component, it's it's very difficult to to to, to get the cake to come together at the end. So. Sure. Uh, so, is there almost a bit of reverse engineering to this then, when you know what the the stated goal is, and then you're working it backwards? What fits into all of that? Yeah, that's probably a fair point. Good point to say. You tend to you work backwards first. See. See where the blend is going to go. Where it's, mm -hmm. you know, is it a one-off? Unlikely for a blend because you, you know, the, you the volume there. You want yeah. consistency and you want it to sell. Um, single malt's different. You, you know, you do have your one-offs and unique uh, expressions. So, so blend is a different thought process. So you tend to look and see where it's going to go, sure. and then work back to what you've got. Sure. And try and fit the, the two together. Perfect. Wow. Earlier we were talking about warehouse space and if you don't want this in there that that's fine but i thought the conversation was quite interesting where you know you, you have this this new range that's taken off you've also increased your capacity capacity from 3.3 million to 5.7 yeah yes. yeah right so now you're making much more spirit than you ever had before you're laying down far more casks than you ever had before and you made a very interesting point, and that was if we grow sales on our 12-year-old by 5% for the next 12 years, then you will need to... Can you remind me what you said there? Well, I think if, if you walk into the warehouses for Glen Murray, the vast proportion of that whiskey sitting there will be destined for the 12-year-old. You've probably got a 50-50 a chance of yeah. saying that's going to be for 12, because 12-year-old 12 is, is still sells at, at 
a, a big volume. Yeah. You know, once you go above that age, then you, you, you know, as the price goes up, the, the volume and the sales definitely dips off. So, so it's a lot of whiskey to store 12 years worth of, of 12 year old. Right. And, and um, you know, I did a quick sum and, mm-hmm. you know, it, I also have to look ahead. So I'm looking at growth and, and, you know, generally you can grow your brands, let's say at 5%. And if you do that for 12 year old, in 12 years time, you'll double your, your sales. Therefore, you've doubled the stock you need. But if you think you're going to grow at 10%, you'll treble your sales and wow. you'll treble stock. So it becomes, the issue is not making the spirit. We've all increased capacity within the industry. Right. The big problem now is finding enough fields to build warehouses. Uh, right. So it's it's it's, you know, it's it's practical issues, but nice issues to have. And you were saying you've got a reasonably high percentage of Glenmurray aging at Glenmurray. Yes, we do. Yeah, yes, we have a we have a grain distillery and a grain uh, site uh, just outside Edinburgh. Um, Bathgate. Is that Bathgate? That's Bathgate. Just outside Edinburgh. Just on the edges. Just yeah. outside Edinburgh sounds yeah. a lot posher than Bathgate. <laughs> if, if anybody ever comes to Scotland for their holidays, uh, don't put Bathgate on your on your ticket bucket list. It's, uh, <laughs> it, it really, you can drive past. It. Uh, but, but yes, so we have two sites in Scotland, and we sh- uh, obviously we have warehousing at both, but we have over a hundred thousand casks maturing here at Glenmore. Wow. That's a remarkable number. And how much of it is down over at, at Starlaw, at your grain distillery? Uh, it's a kind of similar proportion to our output. So we are, we are producing over 5 million. They can produce 25 million grain uh, wow. spirits. So, so they've got about five times the storage. So about 500,000 casks. Wow. Significant. And that's growing all the time because yeah. you're always hoping to sell more next year than you did this year. So you're sure. putting more into warehouse. You'll always put more into warehouse than you'll take out if, if you've got that vision. And, and part of my ignorance here, just thinking about a lot of the grain whiskey that you, you, you're seeing in the market, sometimes from the brands direct, a lot of times now from independent bottlers, I don't see any star law out there. Is that because it's, it's a, is it a newer distillery by comparison to the others? It's it is new. Well, relative compared to the other uh, grain distilleries, it's it's new. Two thousand and ten was okay. the f- first production. So I oh, think yeah. one yeah one day you will see Starlow. Uh, hopefully you'll see it because it'd be nice to to get it out there. But at the moment we've no current plans to yeah, yeah, to put sure. out a single grain. Uh, uh, but it's just interesting to put it into perspective. Mm-hmm. Port Dundas closed in two thousand ten. Yeah. Just just at the time that uh, Starlow yeah. was opening. But I think probably the main, more of the reason is that we've, we've, at both sites, there's been huge expansion, huge work in the last three, four, five years. So, so that's been the focus. And now that 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 Starlaw Grain is 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 there and, and 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 the production is steady, I think now we can probably look at let's see what we do with that that spirit. Very nice. But we're never in. Well, there's never much hurry in the whiskey industry. <laughs> it's always time. Do you find yourself getting impatient, or you you play into that quite nicely with your personality? Uh, no, I'm quite relaxed that way. I'm quite happy. I can. Somebody said that to me yesterday, actually, and I'm quite happy to to put things away into cask, and then generally I forget about them, and then I'll, <laughs> then I'll go and print off some stock and look at it and go, oh, I remember. Now I remember doing that, and uh, there is no. If the whiskey is in a, in a, in a good cask, it's not going to go wrong, uh, you know, it's, mm-hmm. I don't think. It's, it's, you, you, don't have to, uh, you, know, you don't have to be too, too careful. Give it, give it time and it'll, it'll just continue to mellow and improve. I, I know for the last few years we've been watching you on social media flying all over the world. Uh, very, very romantic, exciting life for you. Um, the, sourcing casks, do you have a preference for what Glen Murray is matured in? Do you think it fits one style of cask over another? I don't, I don't know. We've done so much work in the last couple of years with different types of cask. We've done, a, you know, obviously sherry, port, uh, chardonnay wine. Mm. Also, I'm dabbling now with Marsala and Sauterne coming through oh. and virgin oak. So it, <laughs> I'm still learning as uh. to what Glen Murray, what works with Glen Murray. Right. Uh, I haven't found fair or good point is we haven't found anything that hasn't quite worked you know most things work uh, 
maybe the odd Fino Sherry can be a bit <laughs> interesting. Uh, but, uh, but, but, uh, we could send you some. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I'm sure yours is fine. But, yeah, but no, you know, the, the, there are certain casks, like port casks, will generally work all yeah. the time. Yeah. Wine casks are a little bit more temperamental and you need to you really need to get hold of them quickly, fill them quickly and, okay. and, and you know, because of the, the risk of them going off. So Oh so, yeah, sure. So it's more about just getting the whiskey into the good cask quickly. Okay. Uh, and, and letting the, the wood and the flavours do the rest. Okay. One of the things I always find with port maturation is if it doesn't meld just perfectly and turn into something really wonderful, it almost divides like oil and water. Where you can taste the scotch, you can taste the port. Mm-hmm. Um, what, given that Glen Murray does very well, you might not have the answer to this. But what, what do you think it is that leads to port melding well with Glen Murray and not having that experience of separating like oil and water? I, I don't know. It's, it, it's, I haven't, as I say, I haven't found it not work yet, which is great because uh, some of the the non-age statement Glen Murray in the classic range is, is only finished for a. You know, for a relatively short period of time, 12 months. But the recent uh, fill your own bottle at the visitor centre was a port finished 10 year old and it had six years in bourbon, four years in port. Nice. And they both work, yeah. but they're both yeah, completely yeah. different. Yeah, yeah. Um, too short a finish time is, 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 is a no no because, yeah, you've two different liquids there. You have, you have something which is closer to water and you've got a spirit, and the two need time to. Work. Oh, wonderful! Yeah. Thank but, you. Uh, That's interesting. As a rule of thumb, you tend to the older the whiskey is, the longer the finish it requires. But that, very nice. That doesn't for the double wood, almost a double wood bottle of your own we're doing just now. It's kind of the other way around. It's, it's, wow. That's an interesting consideration. Yeah. 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 yeah, I've got one more question I want to ask you, just again because of our relationship. But we we often hear in times of boom, independent bottlers are. A pain in the arse for, for distillers um, in times that are quieter, let's say, the independent bottler can become the best friend we've, we've first met you in a time of boom, we're still in a time of boom you still give us the time of day, what is it you see with an independent bottler, what's to you the value of the independent bottling side of the business? I think with independent bottlers, you know, like yourselves you, you can reach an audience that we would very find hard to tap into. We we don't have the resource to mm. to to go into every market and speak to every consumer. So right. you you have your you have your audience there ready and willing to, to to try things, and it then gives us a chance to put some of our best stuff in yeah. in individual cask form as well. Because single cask is is difficult for us. You know, it's we we are a volume company, and, and mm-hmm. to, to bottle things in in one off units. That's interesting. Because, yeah. It becomes quite hard, so it's, it's nice to, to actually see that cast go to someone who's going to nurture it and, and, and put their little slant on it, their their their, their sales on it, and, and see it get to market. Uh, that, that's wonderful to hear. Um, it's also I'm so pleased that you said sending out your best, some of your best casks. Where I think for some people, and not anybody that listens to this podcast, of course, <laughs> but for some people to hear independent bottling and they think. Glen Murray or any distiller would send off the stock that they really can't use because it's not really that great. Mm-hmm. And we're always saying to people, well, the Glen Murray name or whatever distillery is front and centre on the label. If they take the idea of sending us garbage, it's their name that's on front of garbage. That doesn't make any sense. And mm-hmm. so I, I love hearing you say it's a chance for Glen Murray to be best represented by somebody else. A, a different component of the market. Yeah. No, you, you, you're just not going to get away with that because <laughs> people that buy independent bottlings are, have, are generally uh, very clued up on, on yeah, exactly. what whiskey is and what yeah. it should taste like. And if they see a 13-year-old Glen Murray in such and such a cask, they've got an idea of what that should be. Exactly. And, mm-hmm. and if, if, if there's a lack of flavour there or a dryness or uh, an off note, they'll pick it up so you just you know you want you want to put your best stuff out uh, in that kind of audience terrific yeah, yeah. that's great it's worked so far thank you for yeah. that <laughs> so we really appreciated graham's time we kind of caught him towards the end of the day friday and while we had made the time to talk about the cast selection for future years 
we hadn't necessarily scheduled time for an interview. Uh, and he was very gracious and we enjoyed talking to him. And then he had to run. Yeah. He had to get home. And he lives right next door to the distillery, but he had to get on home and, and on with his, his night. So uh, thanks to Graham for that additional time. What it then allowed us to do was remain in the visitor center and talk to the man who manages that fine establishment. And uh, <laughs> us being us, we may have found a way to get a wee dram into our hands. <laughs> so uh, just like we did with Graham, we're just going to let this one run. You can listen to the conversation that we enjoyed in the visitor center. And thanks also go to Ian for his time on a Friday evening. Uh, it was lovely catching up with them and getting some comments, some questions, some answers down on wax. So here's Ian Allen. So first off, cheers. Cheers. Happy New Year. Happy New, Happy Year. New Year. When do we stop saying Happy New Year? Everyone. <laughs> yeah. Because then you start saying rabbit, rabbit. Yeah. <laughs> what's the uh, what's what's the history? What's the origin of Rabbit Rabbit? I've never heard of it. I, 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 I laugh just uh, courteously. <laughs> I have no idea what it is. Yeah, it's, yeah. Something else we used to say. Uh, I, I don't know what it was, but I feel like we said something else. And then when I met him and saw him every first of the month on Facebook, he used to go and Rabbit Rabbit. I learned it from my wife, and she has no idea okay. where it came from. Yeah, nobody, rabbit Rabbit's just... It's not a Chaz and Dave thing. No. So. <laughs> Chaz and Dave? Well, since yeah, he didn't know Rabbit Rabbit, I thought I had to, like, oh, Chaz yeah. and Dave. So Chaz, do you know Chaz and Dave? They're like, they're the British Guns and Roses. You must check them out. <laughs> it's, it's Chaz and Dave like Guns and Roses. They're, they're, they're very similar. <laughs> okay. Get on a YouTube. <laughs> Find Chaz and Dave. Chaz and Dave, snooker loopy. <laughs> so can you, so first off, yeah. Uh, yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about... Well, first off... I thought you were going to say who we're talking to. Yeah, well, no, we're going to introduce <laughs> oh, it. easy peasy. Yeah, easy peasy. I don't know. Okay. Everybody knows. Yeah. Um, so, okay, so I will say it. We're with the good Ian Allen, Glen Murray Visitor Center <laughs> Later manager. we'll be drinking with the bad Ian. <laughs> <laughs> right now is the good one. Yeah, right now is the good one. With the company sweater. Yes. <laughs> but <clears throat> we've got plenty of questions to ask, but one that I have in mind, and it's with this whiskey in mind. Yep. When it comes to your bottle, your own, who's making that selection? Is that is that on you? Nope, that's uh, Graham's choice. Um, and the beauty of that is he likes the uh, bottle, your own, to be some of our more experimental casks to get a little bit of feedback, see how things are being treated, uh, being experienced, see what folk think of them. And uh, that for us, from the visitor centre point of view, means that we get a lot of interest from whiskey folks looking sure. for what we've got next and what's happening. So over the past year, Bottle Your Own has become uh, one of our kind of main products that we now have at the visitor centre. Yeah, we certainly look at it every time we come here, check out what's the latest. The price on it is obviously cracking. Yep. Oh, uh, 50 pound. Yeah, yep. that's great. Yeah, you Scott and a Jew here, so <laughs> <laughs> we buy it every time yeah. we see you. So you must yeah. be doing something. And right. you still try to drive down the price. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Thank you, sir. <laughs> this is really good. Yeah, this is great. Um, we did this in a tweet tasting uh, just this week, and um, tweet, ta- oh, tweet like Twitter, yeah, Twitter yeah, tasting. Okay. Uh, so we'd run that. And, you know, to, to quote myself, a comment I made on this one, <laughs> um, which I'm going to repeat again, is that a lot of finishes we do just whisper what was in the cask before. This one shouts it, this one screams it. The port is really the dominant force in that. And that's down to the, really the length of finish. You know, we have a 10-year-old single cask at the moment, uh, six years bourbon, but four years in port. Uh, and the port just dominates the nose on this. But it's perfect. Yeah, well, you know, that was my question that I just asked to, to Graham. So often in my experience, port will just sit there like oil and water. It'll just separate mm. from the finish that it's meant to be doing. This holds the port fantastically yep. without losing the whiskey. It's actually, um, if you remember, was it last year, two years ago, you had the cider, cider cask finish. Oh, yeah. Yep. And the Glenmurray spirit was noticeable. The cider was noticeable, but each of them elevated the other. Mm-hmm. Um, 
this one I feel does the similar thing where the Glen Murray spirit's in there, the port's in there, but the port's actually doing something to the Glen Murray spirit. Yep. Uh, and the Glen Murray spirit's doing something to the port. It's really nice to have that type of interaction in the glass. Yeah, for me, um, Glen Murray and port uh, have worked well for many, many years. You know, we had our centenary bottling going back to 1997, was a 17-year-old port finish. Uh, we've been now, we've been spoiled for port since the takeover in 2008 uh, with Lamartini Kez, the company owners, being one of the world's biggest port producers. So that access to the port casks uh, has really opened up to us. And just that, that traceability and knowing that the casks are being shipped over fresh and that the, the port is going to have an impact. We're not buying casks from a broker where we don't know how long they've been sitting there for. Uh, and this is just a perfect example of that where the port's allowed to play a part in the whiskey. Um, you know, I say it's dominating it, but as you say, when you do get into the palate and the taste of this one, the Glen Murray spirit is still allowed oh, yeah. to, to cut through. Correct. And Glen Murray's always been that way inclined. We, we look at bottlings we've done in the past, um, accidental ones like Serendipity where you're mixing Glen Murray and Ardbeg. On paper, Glen Murray perceived as that lighter spirit should actually disappear mm. but it's still able to cut through it's still able to play a part in the bottlings uh, so it, Glen Murray's a, a versatile whiskey but for me I've always liked Glen Murray and Port yeah uh, with this example in hand yeah, I think no, you're I think right to, to think that so with La Martina case being your <clears throat> source for the port casks yep. do they supply you with other wine casks I, they've been sourcing other wine casks and we've been accessing other casks from their portfolio um which I'm not sure whether it's it's common knowledge yet, so I'll hold under the hat for the moment. But yes, uh, watch this space. We'll have some other uh, kind of joint bottlings, joint finishes from uh, producers within the company. Uh, now to go online and check out their portfolio. Just yeah, yeah, just have a little <laughs> guess. <laughs> no, it's it's really brilliant. So thank you for yeah, cheers, yeah, cheers, for sharing thanks, sharing. And we'll be taking some bottles away. No doubt about that. Um, so so. I've got a question from a, a practical standpoint that you are Glen Murray Visitor Centre Manager mm -hmm. and you have been since? Since 2005. Okay, 2005. So you and Graham share, share the same start year on that? Yeah, same start week. Look at uh, that. We started same start week. week? Yep. Wow. Uh, I think he started on the Monday and I started on the Thursday. So. <laughs> and he came from Glen Fiddick, you came from McAllen. That's correct, yes. Yeah. Okay. So on one hand, you've got all the responsibilities of Tours coming through, guests coming through, stock in the shop, food happening here in the kitchen. There's, there's an awful lot yep. going on. But you also travel the world representing Glen Murray in other markets. Yes. How uh, the hell do you make that work? I am, yeah, it's, it's uh, challenging but fun. <laughs> I, well, I don't make it work. Um, it's my, a shout out to the team here that makes that work. I, I've got a great team at the distillery uh, who take over when I disappear more often than not, and the guys, they, they know that they're, they're, they're great guys, great team here. Uh, so my job, initially I was asked to attend at a few whiskey festivals, because the way I see it is ultimately, I, I talk about the brand here, I talk about the brand somewhere else, it's the same job, the location's different. I, I maybe have to speak a bit more expressively because I can't point to this pipe, that pipe, and the next <laughs> yeah, pipe yeah. that you can do when you have the distillery at hand. Uh, but ultimately, it's the same job, just in different locations. Uh, so the, 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 the brand ambassadorial side of things has started to take over more and more. Um, it's a part of the job I, I really love and enjoy. But from my perspective, it's pretty much the same job. You're promoting and talking the brand, just one's with the distillery and one is without. Nicely put. When you first came here, was that the idea? No, not at all. Um, it's something that I was always keen. Um, I'd done whiskey shows within the UK previously uh, with McAllen and uh, helped out a little bit uh, here at Glen Murray, but the, the role has kind of grown and officially kind of given the title over the past few years as brand ambassador. So Fantastic. it's allowed me the scope to, to spread my wings and see yeah. the world and talk Glen Murray, not just a, a local market, but to a worldwide market. And last year you were seeing 21,000 visitors through your door on site? Yeah, great year last year. Um, whiskey tourism as a whole last year uh, grew phenomenally across the board, speaking to colleagues at other distilleries. Uh, we uh, even above the trend uh, on that front as well. So yeah, so numbers were up, uh, sales of the whiskey were up, 
which is, is great for us. It, it hopefully will allow a scope to maybe look at investment and expanding in the future. So fingers crossed oh, uh, yeah. that nice will happen. With that. Yeah. Yeah. You've also got local members of the community who come in here for a cup of coffee and a sandwich. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we, we, when we started this uh, kind of visitor centre at Glen Murray, it, it was open when I arrived, but it was only barely open. Uh, so it was about developing it and what we're doing. And whisky tourism back in 2005 to what it is now are completely different creatures. Uh, we had very few numbers. We were taking numbers in a year that we now see in a month. <laughs> so it was about uh, how do we sustain the opening, how do we keep it open all year round, and opening a coffee shop made sense because Glen Murray, for those who have visited or who haven't visited, we're in a housing estate, unlike a lot of other distilleries that are more rural and hidden up in the hills. So we thought we'd use the local community uh, to come in and, and almost become ambassadors for us and talk about us as well. So. Perfect. Smart thing. It's certainly working. There's no it's doubt about absolutely, that. Yes. It's always busy. Every time you walk in here, there's always people sitting down yeah. eating. Yeah, it's great. Uh, yeah. Having a cup of coffee, yeah. cup of tea. Yeah, I, I loved walking in and just seeing these three little old biddies sitting down for their tea. <laughs> And they just came here to enjoy their tea. And Graham right? Cool walks yeah. in the door, distillery yeah. manager. Nobody yeah. bats an eyelid. Yeah, it's he's great. just the boy that runs the distillery. It's a very community uh, distillery. I know most of them are, you know, but we're, because of our location, you know, mm. we have to be involved in in the surrounding area and the community, and we help out where we can. I think that helps to, to build relationships around it. No so I know from two thousand five to to now two thousand eighteen. I'm going a little bit ancient history, but I'm curious, with your time at McAllen, is there yep. anything that you learned at McAllen that you brought here to Glen Murray to to change the visitor center or to apply here? Um, to some extent, yes. I think everything you do, you, you take something from and you learn from, whether it's your mistakes or your successes. Mm. Uh, How many mistakes did you uh, make? Just so many. So <laughs> many. <laughs> Probably more than successes. Uh, but yeah, it was, uh, you know, with McAllen, it was more of an established setup. So you, you came, I came into that from something which was up and running in there. And that was a, a sharp, quick learning curve. Uh, to hear they were kind of more finding their feet at the time. Uh, so it was able to bring that kind of um, kind of previous knowledge of a, a developed and working uh, visitor centre into something which was more new and mm-hmm. uh, upcoming at the time. And fast forward, going on thirteen years now, right? Is that yep. math right? That's yep. amazing. You, it doesn't sound right, but it is. It is. But in two thousand seventeen. You won some sort of an award. What? I did, yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Graham, both Graham and I won. Uh, oh, right. It was a good year for uh, Glen Murray. We, nice. we won the Whiskey Magazine's uh, Icon of Whiskey, Graham for Distillery Manager and me for Visitor Centre Manager. So Fantastic. That was, uh, it was nice recognition. I think it's more for the team here more than anything yeah. uh, because it's not just me running this. Definitely not just me running this. Yeah. No, that's a great uh, double whammy. Yeah, yeah exactly. Good to be recognised. Yeah. Nice. Um, so I'm trying to think of some of the questions that I asked while I know, we were already in the car. Because I'm not going to lie, they were great questions. <laughs> the best questions. A lot of people. A lot, of people, a lot of people said they were great questions. Bigly questions. Bigly questions. <laughs> uh, I have a question that may or may not make it into the final product, depending on how you feel about it. Yep. Um, in one of our visits, we talked about the pipers uh, on the on the tin yes. of the Glen Murray bottling, and the talk was that the line was being updated so to speak yes and the pipers may very well go away which I, they have i'm looking around the shop behind you the pipers have left the Not building seen any pipers nope. now when we were discussing it you were suggesting that tourists <clears throat> love the pipers absolutely yes but yeah. maybe whiskey folk think of it as a bit twee a, a bit, bit old-fashioned old Yes. Yeah. It, it ultimately, you know, when we're dealing with whiskey tourism and whiskey drinkers, they, they can be okay. In a Venn diagram, there is a crossover there, uh, but there are some different, you know, people coming in. A lot of tourists to Scotland just want to tick that kind of Scottish yeah. box. You know, they've yeah. got a few things they want to do: a castle, a golf course, and a whiskey distillery. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're maybe not whiskey enthusiasts, but they like that heritage and that kind of um, history in Scotland. And, and they like that kind of thing, that kind of shortbread tin approach yep. to things, which it, it was to some extent, and it worked really well. Um, but, you know, the, the whiskey enthusiasts are, are less interested in that kind of twee background, mm-hmm. and, and they, they shunned it and maybe found it a little bit more humorous 
than anything else. But uh, yeah, it was certainly well received in some areas, but not others. So, so now that it's gone, was it just a ripping off of the Band-Aid? It was, you, you could see a place for it, but the it's, lines being updated, yes, different stories being told. Yeah, absolutely. The, you know, the, 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 the Pipers really disjointed our range, you know, visually within yes. a packaging point of view. Yes. It was only within the 16-year-old and it, and it played a part to the, the heritage where we used to have them on all of our expressions. So they were retained, but it meant that everything looked a little bit disjointed within the mm. core range, which the 16 was a part of. Um, and now what we have is, is better synergy from throughout the range. You know, they yeah. look more like a range of whiskies mm-hmm. exactly. than a disjointed yeah, collection. Quite nicely. Yes. It's yeah. true. Yeah. Are there still Piper's tins in the United States? You may find yeah. them. Yeah, you may I, find them I around so. and about. I, I yes. Missed that sixteen yes. year old. Yeah. The sixteen was a great yeah. product. But the fifteen is fantastic as oh, well. Oh yeah. So, yeah. 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 I, I think I told you this before. when did we meet? I think it wasn't this past August, but the August before that, when I was with Jonathan Bray, the uh, Australian yep. guy, and this was just being bottled. This was just about mm-hmm. to be launched, and that <laughs> fifth, they were all great, mm-hmm. but that 15, I found to be just the sweet spot yep. for the Glen Murray line. And I'm curious of, of what you're selling now. Is there, do you find one that's more popular than the others? And it's, you know, it, it can vary. Um, you know, personally speaking, um, if we're allowed to have a favourite, um, I love the 18. I think the 18, we're doing something, we're doing it something simply, but we're doing it really, really well. Okay. Uh, the non-chill filtered approach within the 18, the first fill bourbons, you know, nothing too fancy, but just just doing everything correctly. And I think it pre- creates a fantastic whiskey. Um, the 12-year-old is, uh, you know... For me, the, the house, Glen Murray, the one which if somebody hasn't tried Glen Murray, I always direct them towards the 12 because it best represents the kind of core style of what we do here. Oh, okay. um, the 15 is always very popular because you, you spoke of sweet spot, but to, to take that a little bit further, is for me one of the sweeter yeah. uh, of the range. You know, that introduction of sherry casks, some of them refill bringing that sweetness uh, with the bourbon already. Uh, I think it creates a whiskey which is really very accessible across the board and people do fall in love with the 15 as well. So yeah, it can vary. Uh, you know, the beauty of whiskey is we all have different tastes. So, you know, we can get one group in that they all love the 15, one group all love the 12, all love the 18. So yeah, it's, it's nicely spread across the range. You mentioned that the, the Pipers are part of the, the heritage, <clears throat> and, and looking over your shoulder here, I see a glass box <laughs> uh, yes. beautifully lit with Elgin Heritage oh, on the, right. the poster behind it. Yep. Well, what's going on in this new glass box? The glass box, we have um, our most premium release to date. That is uh, our mastery that we introduced uh, late on uh, last year as part of the 120th anniversary where Graham took some of the oldest and rarest casks in the distillery, some of them um, a mixture of finishes with a a kind of nod to our history of being one of the more kind of pioneering distilleries around finishing uh, and combining them to create just a fantastically rich full-on whiskey. as I say, one of the more premium releases because of the age and the, the, the quality and the character of the casks there, uh, but just an amazing whiskey. And it's nice to see a Glen Murray in such great oh, packaging yeah. as well. <laughs> I, I remember first seeing the pictures and I instantly started drooling. Yes. That's, uh, uh, how much will it set us back today? It'll set you back uh, in pounds, 800. Uh, I think you'd probably be about $900,000 there or thereabouts yeah. in the US. <laughs> yeah, given the uh, current exchange rate. Yeah. Yes. Four on the exchange there we right go. Now. So there are thereabouts. Um, I, th- I believe, Graham, shortly to head out to the US, I think it's to do a little bit of promotion around that, right. I think. Anyway. Okay. Yes. Well, another watch this space then, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Well, I think he said he may be in New York. So I'll see if I yep. meet up with him. Thanks again to both Graham and Ian for their time. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. You know, anytime we come over to Scotland, we we make it a point to come up to see them. And sometimes it's because there's business to be done. Sometimes it's because we love the distillery. We love getting shown around. But more often than not, we just really enjoy their company and, and getting to see them. They're two 
top-notch guys. Yeah, a bit like our, our John over to Campbelltown. It was three and a half hours. Trip up to Elgin, three and a half hours. Yeah, right. <laughs> so there you go. Yeah. You pass on through. You drive up. You drive down. You have a lovely time. You meet great people. So yeah. that was lovely. Yeah, so just know, however, dear listener, this is not the last you'll hear from Graham or Ian. They're actually going to bring us this week's misconception. So listen toward the end when we get to that segment. Mystery, history, we all are bad and life story of Playboy Penny. Extra, history. Extra, extra, read all about it. Me and I Playboy. So Jason, as far as news goes, being that we recording this episode so far in advance to when it's actually going to be. Yeah, not like us at all. We're not no, normally this no. prepared. Send yes. us to Scotland, get us some lapel mics, and we can go crazy <laughs> with our recording. Um, you know, we don't have, we, we don't quite know what the new news could be, but what I do know that's happening in the not-too-distant future of the release of this podcast, uh, on March 14, we will have our live podcast at Westland Distillery. Yeah, really looking forward to that good panel happening there. Hopefully good conversation. It's our first time doing a live recording. Yeah. I'm excited and I'm nervous. <laughs> uh, but I'll have a wee dram in me and I'll see if I can carry it on. So. Yeah, yeah. No, I, th- I think it'll be good and hopefully by the time this episode is is live there will still be some tickets available some of the tickets that are available are allotted for whiskey jubilee ticket holders so hopefully you're one of the lucky ones that was able to get in there for free with that whiskey jubilee ticket exactly hopefully people signed up nice and early because i know capacity is limited yeah yeah we're only recording in a finite space and so sorry if we don't get everybody into it the episode will certainly go Live. Yeah. We're not coming no further till we've had a breather. Get a fire going! I think we might have made a mistake leaving the Shire, baby. Jason, before we pop into misconceptions, one thing I want to point out here, because most people wouldn't know, due to my excellent and extraordinary editing skills. Most people wouldn't know that we actually stopped recording just there and then to take a little pit stop on the way to Glasgow. We stopped at Blair Athol Distillery. Indeed we did. Mm -hmm. And it was well worth a wee polka boot, as we say, Scotlandia. (laughs) Yeah, I... It was never on my radar, and I shouldn't say that the whiskey wasn't on my radar. Blair Athol has has always been a a bit of a favorite for me. It's sort of a an overlooked distillery and you know well at least in the US you really don't get many if any Blair Athol well and really even over here it's known for its flora and fauna bottling with the otter on it yeah so few and far between are the bottlings from the distillery but they're always worth seeking out I was tempted by that 23 year old Ben Rennes on the shelf but just a wee bit too pricey 400 pounds a wee bit too much Especially given today's exchange rate. Um, But the reason that we stopped there specifically has to do with our interviewees on this episode. It was Graham Cool that that said, hey, if you're headed down that way, check out Blair Athol and and try their their distillery-only release, which we did, and it was fantastic. Was that a Golden Eagle? No, it was more just a bird of prey that I was worried was about to fall on top of our car. All right. It looked a little bit more like an osprey, the the white wings underneath, but Mm -hmm. everything was moving too fast to be sure. Yeah, Uh, yeah, Graham had said it's a well-stocked distillery shop down there. He wasn't wrong. We looked at some Port Ellen, some old Port Ellen, some old Lagavulin. Mm -hmm. Convalmore. Some Athrusk. Yep. And uh, we tried desperately to talk ourselves into it, but ultimately we did not need the key for the glass cabinet. Now our, our inner accountants said, no, don't do it. Our, run away, run away. Our penny pinchers. <laughs> but, Easy. But yeah, lovely, lovely little shop, lovely little distillery, lovely little setting uh, near Pitlochry. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Quite nice. Yeah, great. Glad we did that. Yeah, me too. And now back on the road to Glasgow. Yeah. So, <coughs> let's... Is it time for uh, misconceptions? For sure. Yeah, it is time. For sure. Yeah, so being being that we interviewed two different people, 
Graham Cool and Ian Allen, we asked, sorry, we asked each of them if they had any misconceptions to share. And so what I'm going to do here is first you will hear Graham's and then you will hear Ian's right after that. So listen in. These ones are, uh, I don't know, they, get, they, gave, they got me to belly laugh. <laughs> you do hear some wonderful things and, and probably it's much to do with the amount of whiskey the person's consumed before they've asked you the question or said made the remark. But there's one that I remember, and I can't, I can't from memory, I'm not sure if it was Glen Murray or my previous distilling life at uh, Glenfinnich, but it was a customer complaint, and the complaint was that they'd bought another bottle of the, the product, and the complaint was that this product, previously when they drank it, they could see the hills, and they could smell the heather, uh, the mist, and they could feel all these sensations, yeah. uh, but this latest bottle they bottled, they couldn't feel it at all. <laughs> so, where, where do you start? And then I had another one where I got a phone call very early in the morning, and it's from uh, from the US, so they were at okay. obviously slightly different time zone, yeah. and it was a call to ask that uh, this, it was a woman and she had a hamster, sick hamster, and the question was, she'd been told that whiskey would cure her hamster and oh my what gosh. was my opinion on this oh my gosh. And I, I, uh, <laughs> obviously phone call from the US I thought oh god this is going to be a libel or a action here <laughs> I'm not going to be non-committal uh, I just said I have, I have just no experience of sick hamsters so <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, do get it's some odd balls out there. But that's really terrific. But as long as they're drinking the product, that's yeah, that's, that's first <laughs> and keep foremost. taking the medicine. Uh, misconception from Ian? Yes, yes. So uh, I remember the one that you gave me before. I'm not going to remind you of what it is. Uh, okay. Let's see if you came up with a new one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I, I was listening to Graham's one. That was more product based. Uh, okay. I, uh, for me, from my wearing my visitor center manager's hat. I, I always loved the ones, um, and this was another US one, we're not picking on US people, but uh, we had a lady from America who phoned in and um, she asked, <laughs> she said that she was flying into Scotland airport and how far away we were from it. Uh, so, you know, that belief that Scotland is very, very small country, we had one airport and we were all pretty close, clustered around that one airport. Scotland Airport. At least to her credit, she didn't say Scotch Airport. Yes. Oh, that's good. Or Scatch Airport. Yeah. Wow, look at you just making fun of us Americans. Because <laughs> I'm in my homeland. i got to go, go back to America, though. We also, um, coming from uh, when I was working at McAllen, there was a bus stop that was just outside the distillery, and the bus passed there. I think it was once a week or twice a week. Yeah. And, and often you would pull out and you'd have to tell folk that were sitting waiting at the bus stop, you do know that that won't stop until about three days' time. So uh, to keep them right about uh, the public transportation system in Scotland. So, yes, uh, <laughs> geogra- I, I shouldn't laugh. My geography is terrible. Uh, but, uh, so when do you next uh, land at America Airport? I, I, hopefully soon, hopefully soon. <laughs> Nothing planned, but I'd like to be coming back soon. Uh, but it's, it's, it's all relative, isn't it? It's all pretty close. Thanks again to Graham and Ian uh, for your time for the for the interview also for your time at the distillery yeah, cheers lads yeah it was really nice um, Jason is there anything that you wanted to, to add before I begin telling people how to get in touch with us um, not really I, I would say this is the the last time we'll be recording from the road in, in Scotland for the time being yeah, yeah. and it's been an absolute ton of fun <laughs> yeah, uh, just just blasting along these roads taking up part of our, our three and a half hours together in the car and just kind of rambling into the the lapel mic separately from lambling <laughs> separately from rambling into my laptop uh, in my office so yeah. so you know I said at the beginning of the episode it's well worth repeating thanks to you for making this a reality and I look forward to hearing the final edits and then having the opportunity to relive some real fun time on the road in Scotland. So cheers, brother. Thank you. Well, you know, if we didn't use the lapel mics, uh, then then they wouldn't have paid for themselves. And I think so far, even though we make zero money from this podcast, they've paid for themselves. <laughs> 
Um, okay, so please get in touch with us with any questions you might have. Uh, you can email us, questions at onenationunderwhiskey.com. You can tweet at us, at One Nation Whiskey. You can send us an Instagram message, at One Nation Under Whiskey, or tag us in a picture or something like that. We've gotten a few tags, which has been kind of cool, and we've, got, we've gotten plenty of messages as well. And two final ways to get in touch with us. You have our Facebook page, facebook.com slash One Nation Under Whiskey. And then there is also our Facebook group, which we're slowly building out. And that is, I don't know how you look for it. I don't know, just go into the Facebook search bar, type in One Nation Under Whiskey. You'll see one is a page, one is a group. Go to the group and uh, join the fun. Yeah, extend that community and as one of the things for me recording this podcast on the road it's really given me a lovely connection to our listeners as we've been driving through Scotland I feel like they've been right along here with us so cheers for for your good company listeners yeah thank Uh, you and for all your ongoing support yeah thank you and one last thing before we say goodbye is if you've been loving our podcast and and been enjoying it every other week. Uh, if you haven't gone over to iTunes and given us a five-star rating, uh, we'd much appreciate you doing that. Even maybe even more importantly, is tell your friends about it. Yeah. And hopefully they can they can listen along with you. Uh, they can listen along on their ride to work or what have you, and and enjoy it too. Let me say this, Joshua. Oh, right. This has been oh the first episode. Yes. Of year two yes. of One Nation Under Whiskey. The first episode of year two of One Nation Under Whiskey. That's what I just said. But it's wrong. Oh, no, it's right. Oh, no, it's wrong. Uh, no, the first episode of year two is our mailbag episode, isn't it? Is it? If it's the one closing out of the year, we started February 15th. Oh, we close out the year. That's right. We started February 15th. We closed out. This is like that that weird thing where you've got corporations where their fiscal year (laughs) doesn't jibe with a calendar. August 1 to July 31. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Yeah, this is our first episode of the second year of the podcast. Can we label this as season two, episode one? Uh, (laughs) Yeah, I guess we can. We should do that. We're going to do that. Listen, dear listeners, we're going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, the sun is coming out, and we're heading down the road to Glasgow. Cheers to everyone, and we'll catch you back in the U.S. Cheers. See you on the other side of the pond. Flip-flop, flippity-flap. <laughs> What was his name? Not Andy, but the other one? Gareth. Don't miss his name. Let my friend Gareth. He's from Dundee. I'm from Boogie. He's from Fife. I'm from Fife. Left him Bucky. Left him Bucky. The TV's back. <coughs> the TV's back. You're gonna get in trouble. <laughs> hey now, hey now. Oh, that the TV's back. That coffin gave me a uh, headache. Or now I got lightheaded. Shit stain. Pee pee dribbles. Yeah. <laughs> Alright. <clears throat> me, me. You, you, you. Okay. Okay. Now, so, so what yeah. are we doing? <laughs> we're, uh, shit, what are we doing? <laughs>